The following podcast contains mentions of sexual assault and sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Cool girl. Men always use that, don't they, as their defining compliment. She's a cool girl. Coming to you live from a dark basement, this is Kids From Yesterday podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode four? Episode four. It's pretty good going. It is. Look, you're you're here. I made it. <laughs> so today I didn't think I was going to make it again. This is the second time we've had a, an issue where I didn't make it to recording, but I cut my finger on a door hinge and I didn't know if I was going to make it because I was in so much pain. Yeah, cut is um a disaster. Yeah, I was going to say something nicer. I, I didn't know what I was going to say, but it was going to be something nicer. Um, and then last week, I was going, or it was two week weeks before, ago, maybe, yeah. I was coming over to Courtney's report, and I was like, Courtney, I've got a really bad pain in my stomach. I'll just chill it out for a while. And I ended up getting my appendix taken out. So that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. So we're here. We're here we on episode it. four. Claude is still alive. And um. Today we're going to talk about something that I'm kind of nervous to talk about. And I'm nervous because there are people who are going to turn this off as soon as we say what we're talking about. And I think those are the people that really need to hear this. I think so too. Um, so we want to talk about misogyny in emo music. And I feel like that's a really big part of the rock scene. And it has been for a really mm-hmm. long time. And I think it's really, really important that no matter what you love or how much you enjoy something, you're feeling in a position to critically kind of look at it and go, well, you know what, I like this thing, but I don't like this thing about it. Yeah. And I think that's okay. And I think that's something we're really afraid of doing. Like we live in, you know, council culture where sometimes it's warranted and sometimes you're kind of like, you know what, you didn't give that person a, a chance to to try be better. Mm-hmm. And I feel like everybody needs a chance to try be better. Um, but there seems to be a very pervasive issue. Yeah. Definitely, across emo music. I mean, looking back at when we were, you know, 15, 16, while I kind of recognised there was, you know, somewhat a, an issue with the way women were spoken about in the music, um, I didn't really realise how prominent it was right across the scene. And I mean, if you look at music going back to, you know, like Guns N' Roses, um, David Bowie, there's always, you know, there's. it's not just emo music. This is something that is across the music industry. Um, even up as far as, you know, Eminem's song, Kim, like that is rampant with misogyny. Um, we are going to look at the particulars of misogyny in the emo music scene. Now, as we were researching for this episode, there is one name who reappeared time and time again in every article we were reading. Um, and that was Jessie Lacey. Yeah, Jessie Lacey from Brand New. Um, were you a Brand New fan? No, I kind of heard, the only time I really knew about them was when I would search for Brand New Eyes and Brand New would come up instead. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, whether on the internet or whatever. Um, and then more recently when this whole kind of thing came out about Brand New and Jessie Lacey, that's when I kind of heard more about them. I think they were supposed to play in Dublin not so long ago. What are you um, saying that? Yes, and I don't know if that show got. I think that show got pulled, so yeah. they they pulled the European tour. Um, mm-hmm. I've I I did like Brand New. I wasn't a massive fan, but I definitely. I mean, they were on all my sad playlists for yeah. when I felt super sad. Um, and I'd seen them support Biffy Clyro a couple of years ago as well, and that was the first time I'd seen them live. And I thought they were shit live. Like they were, it was horrible because I especially as like I thought the music was really emotional and it was really deep and it was really whatever. But there are songs that. I would have liked back in the day. We're not going to put these songs on to the playlist. Like, I feel bad if the rest of the band didn't know. I don't know. Um, and obviously, these are allegations we're talking about. I don't know if there's been a case brought against them. But I... Uh, considering he released a statement apologising for what he'd done, I'm pretty sure it's happened. So I don't want to give him any money. Yeah, um, and I, also, I don't want to subject people to 
these songs, but there's one called Me versus Elvis versus Maradona, and I'd heard it many a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I knew the lyrics to it, but I'd never heard it the way that he intended it, which is that it, it seems to be a song about date rape. Yeah. Um, which is really shitty, and a lot of his music kind of like he'd written a song and it was quite horrible, really, about um, it was a bit like a male being raped. Um, okay. And like, you know, it was a different perspective and he wasn't kind of saying, like, the song didn't seem to be saying like, oh, you know, this happens to men too, like trying to talk over women. It was just very much like, a, this is a thing that does happen. Okay. Especially with guys and older girls, mm. um, which yes, absolutely it does. Um, but like, I'd always heard that and thought, you know, maybe he kind of has a progressive take on thinking no. No. Like you hear those articles. I mean, we'd research this independently and over and over and over again, everything yeah. that comes up, it's Jesse Lacey, Jesse Lacey, Jesse Lacey. And I do think when I heard about this, it was like, I don't know, it just, it was kind of devastating because it was around the time, and like, I do want to talk about this separately on another episode, but I do think a lot of bands were kind of being outed as having done and stuff. But I do think in this particular case, somebody who was kind of at the forefront of that second wave of emo, mm-hmm. um, who had like an active fan base, who had done these really horrible things. Like, the articles are there as well. I really don't want to go into detail about what he is alleged to have done and what he's apologised for doing. Yeah. But it's 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 horrible. And it's terrifying that this was such a big part of the scene. I mean, like, yeah. I, I feel like when I was a kid, I didn't think about this kind of stuff. You know, like, it was me and the band, and that was it. Like, there was nothing... You know, there was other people that liked the band or whatever. Yeah. And... You know, the, the goal was always, like, I want to be friends with them or I want them to, like, send me a tweet or, like, yeah. I want to be noticed by them in some way. Yeah. Just so I can validate, like, my interest in this band is valued yeah. by them, I guess. But, like, I'd never think, you know, this is a potential danger. This is something that could happen because I trusted these people that I looked up to. Definitely. I think so. But at the same time, then, I guess we grew up in a time when people looked down on girls who oh, yeah. like music. Yeah. Um, like, even the term fangirl. Yeah, like, I feel like not only were we in a time where people looked down on, on girls for liking music, but there seemed to be sort of a superiority complex in people who didn't like the music you liked. They thought they were better than you because they were into Guns N' Roses or they were into real Metallica, rock. real rock music, yeah. you know? And as much as, you know, that's great for them, but they definitely, I feel like I was looked down upon because I was into Pyramore and into Team 86. And even, you know, up into like the tens, fans of One Direction, it seems like these bands that are liked by young girls are almost delegitimatized by music critics simply because young girls like them. Yeah. I mean, the most recent example of it I can think of, I was looking up Palais Royale because I feel like my face had been like smashed over the head a few times with, you know, like I wouldn't, they appeared out of nowhere a couple of years ago. And I remember I got like emails from Roxanne and from Kerrang being like the new band. And like, oh, it was last year. It was the new band of 2018. And I read this article and there was a guy breaking, like he was a music critic, but he was breaking down kind of who the band are. I have no interest in them at all whatsoever. I don't like, it feels very manufactured, but it was, yeah. it was very much a case of like, they were judging them and looking down on them because girls were going to love them. Mm-hmm. and I feel like that's kind of the overarching thing it's not about like necessarily whether the music is good or not it's about you know oh well like they're going to be huge anyway because teenage girls will love this kind of shit and yeah. you're like well like the shit that teenage girls love is great I think we spoke about this in our first episode like when I was a teenager it was the first time that I ever loved anything yeah so there was things that I attached myself to because I was like you know what I can love this with absolute like nobody can judge me for loving this I can love this and I cannot talk about it and nobody will know that I love this thing um you know so I loved Supernatural I was really into that show and like I love different bands and I love Twilight and I loved all this stuff that I could just throw myself into and I could spend all my time reading interviews or I could read the books or I could read fan fiction and I could you know there was so much in yeah. it that like this thing you could throw yourself into so I do think that that concept of fangirling it's made it, you're supposed to think of like a 14 year old girl with, like, the band's name drawn on her face in, like, yeah. eyeliner, wearing, like, a like a bright pink, like, band t-shirt or whatever, whether or not it exists for the band. But you're supposed to think of this, like, child, and you're supposed to think 
that child is immature and yeah. that like what they're interested in has no value and they're going to be really embarrassed when they look back at themselves in a few years and I think like yeah absolutely we've looked back on ourselves and gone <laughs> oh my god yeah there's definitely some there's definitely some uh, examples of that I have but yeah yeah but it, it, it's it's yeah I think the expectation is that there's no value in you liking this thing because it's for girls and it's you know it's stupid or it's not worth your time or it's a waste of money and they don't care about you and you know they just want you to support them and like bolster them up or whatever and like well there is a degree of that obviously in every single industry like some bands are manufactured in a boardroom and some bands start out authentically and then they're made into something else because the labels see the potential and they see the money making potential and that happens everywhere it happens in every industry I do think it's an it's another way of putting women down basically yeah definitely I mean even if you look back to the 60s and the kind of Beatlemania yeah and the majority of the stories we hear about Beatlemania are all about young girls but if you look at them at this side you know on, on this side of their fame and now that they're you know disbanded and half of them are dead <laughs> they are cited as one of the greatest bands of all time and it's yeah. by white men like it's older white men I feel like they are the ones with the music superiority complex but yeah, and uh, another one, I think Twilight, the Twilight fangirls, we got such backlash. Yeah. We got treated so horribly because of something, a book series that we that we liked. And like, yes, it was horribly misogynistic in... In, in theory. Na- in yeah, theory yeah, yeah. and in nature. And when you look back at it now, you go, oh my God, what the fuck? Get out of my bedroom, you freak. Like, yeah. also you're 107, meet somebody your own age, you creep. Like, because the bit I can never get my head around, and I'm sorry for the segue, the bit I can never get my head around now as an adult is, what could he possibly have in common with a 17-year-old girl? Like, I know he died at 17, but he's lived for many years. Surely he's like, well, yeah. he's, he's he's gotten gained wisdom and he, he knows things about the world. And she's like, I don't want to finish school. I want to be a vampire. And you're like, what? But at the same time, I still loved it. And like, yeah. even now, I'm like, I don't feel embarrassed about loving it. I feel very much like a... Like, I watched Twilight again recently, and I still love it the way I loved it before. Like, I don't I don't feel the same about it, but I definitely can feel the same feelings I felt. Yeah. It's like the same excitement and the same kind of, you know, this is a thing that's for me. Um, and it was female-dominated. There were male Twilight fans, but it yeah. was very much a thing of like, like how dare you like this thing that was made for you and yeah. I, I think that is the problem it's like how dare you enjoy something that was created with you in mind yeah definitely I remember I think like Twilight I know this is such a segue but Twilight for me was like the first time I had read a book series and it was turned into a film so that excitement for me of being like oh my god this is a like this is a thing that happens like obviously I'd, I'd seen films and you know there was books about them Obviously, it's seen films. I'd seen films where there was books, they were based on books, but this is the first time where I'd read a book and then it was made into a film. So, obviously, like my friend and I, we still, like, I think I have like three copies of Eclipse at home because, you know, I bought the series and I was like, okay, let's rewatch this again. This will be fun. And then I bought it again and then she bought it. And, you know, I, I like love Twilight. I would still go back and watch. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I the think films. there's something in that but I think that is our point that it was made for us yeah for when we were that age and I think a lot of these bands they're made for for women and this is a like a newer like I suppose more of the pop punk stuff that's out now so you have like five seconds of summer that was like manufactured to be like they, they were like part owned by One Direction so they were literally found and manufactured into being this thing that was 14 age One Direction <laughs> yeah but they were like found and made into this thing that was 14 age girls and I don't think there's any harm in liking that. But then you have, like, this coming on from kind of the first and second wave of emo bands, which were for men. And they were about girls. And they were about how, like, wronged they'd been by women. And, like, you know, these unattainable female creations. So I think something that keeps coming up, and I've, I read a book called Under My Thumb, and it's Songs That Hate Women and the Women Who Love Them. And it's an essay collection edited by um, Rian Jones and Eli Davies, or Ellie Davies, I'm not sure which, I'm really sorry. But um, it has like a part in it about the cool girl monologue from the Gillian Flynn book, um, Gone Girl. So we played a little clip of it at the beginning of this, but like being the cool girl means I'm hot, brilliant, funny woman who adores football, poker, dirty jokes and burping. Who plays video games, uh, drinks cheap beer and loves threesomes. So it's like this 
you know, you think mm. back to bands that we would have grown up hearing. So like Busted and McFly, like they had, you know, Air Hostess and, you know, um, Five Colors in Her Hair and like all these nameless women who were just so like... Cool. Yeah, like they were awesome. And, you know, they're, they're in the videos, they're all like thin and like conventionally pretty, but like also you wouldn't, I wouldn't recognize them in the street either. Like they're, they're a very specific type of forget to be pretty girl, yeah. girl yeah. that featured in all of these videos. Um, and then in emo songs, you have the cute is what we aim for song, like Curse of Curves. And like you watch the video and you're like, where are her curves? Like she has boobs. Did you mean boobs? Did you yeah. mean like, you know, like what are you talking about? But it's again, that same thing. Like I wouldn't recognize her. Yeah. If she walked past me in the street, but it's that kind of like, oh, I think she's really cool. So it's like a, a fantasy thing, nearly, where people project, well, people, these emo bands project <laughs> yeah. their, what they want in a woman onto women they kind of know or that they saw or that they met in a bar or that, like, they don't really know. And they put all these, like, oh, they're going to be really cool and they're going to solve all my problems and they're going to, you know, have all my interests and they're going to be so impressed by me being in a band or on the flip side, they're going to be so unimpressed by me being in a band that that's going to make me want them more or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of these songs end up being about them being turned down or, like, let down by these women. Um, like, a lot of them kind of talk about cheating. And, like, obviously I don't condone cheating in any way, shape or form. But it seems to be less about the cheating and more of, like, a, an excuse to call them a whore or an excuse to say they're a slut because they slap with other people or, yeah. like, it's an excuse to kind of say you disappointed me for not being all the things that I thought you were going to be rather than an actual realistic look at women. But I think that is kind of a thing that when you grow up in a culture where all the songs you're listening to are about girls that don't have names that are just cool, you're like, they're yeah. so much better than you because obviously they're not real women. Yeah. They're not talking about anybody that... So, yeah. So, first of all, it make, they're faceless. They're not human to yeah. you. It's just a girl. So, for women, I think that creates the the sense of a them versus us, like, internalised misogyny. So, like, as a woman listening to these songs about other women and the way they act, you're like, you know, you're thinking, well, that's them and that's their behaviour, but that's not how I behave myself. And in that in itself is, you know, such shaming. Um, but it's also got this kind of idea as well, on the flip side, for men who are listening to this music, they're influenced by what they're hearing. And, you know, their heroes are saying... X, Y, and Z, and, you know, they're calling women sluts and whores, and they think it's okay to do it. But in Mean Girls, not okay. You've got to stop calling each other sluts and whores. Exactly. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it, it's, these lyrics being in these songs is having an impact on women, projecting on women, and it's having an effect on the men projecting on women again. So it's a lose-lose situation for both sides of the coin. Definitely. And then you have, like, when people do call out, the misogyny that's there. I mean, Jessica Hopper has come up time and time again. She wrote yeah. an article back in... 2003? 2003. In this article, she quoted somebody talking to her about... Oh, so she's a rock music critic, and she at the time she was writing a column about how emo is sexist. Mm -hmm. um, and then she quoted somebody saying to her, what do you mean emo is sexist? Emo songs are no different than all of rock history than Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin. Um... And then they kind of went on to say that if you have a problem with emo, you have a problem with all of rock history. And she was like, I know, I do. And a lot of the points in Under My Thumb were about how there has to come a point where you have to acknowledge what you're willing to ignore. And like, what, yeah. at what point are you going to go, well, this is not okay. Or I'm going to call this out. Or I'm not going to support this particular thing. Or I'm not going to support this song because I don't agree with it. Um, and I think that's really difficult. And I think it's difficult because for a lot of girls, you're... Mm -hmm pigeonholed into this thing where you're told like you're a fangirl and your opinion doesn't matter and you're making them money and stuff and you're holding on to this thing that you love so tightly because you're like well no this this is mine and this is like you know it's like teenagers are rebellious like by nature yeah so they're holding on to this like little corner of rock music that they've kind of carved out that they're like I'm emo and I feel seen by these bands mm -hmm. and then the band does something to upset them and it's like well do I keep holding on or do I let go now am I just doing what everybody wants me to do? you know I think there's a lot of yeah. kind of moral issues involved in it um but I do think it's really important to kind of critically look at it as well yeah no definitely and on the kind of the subject of how much are you willing to ignore I guess there's been so many bad like in the council culture that we're living in at the moment like 
there are so many bands that have had to pull tours and pull shows because of accusations of sexual misconduct against women. And, you know, really, for me, I guess I'm, I'd say I'm lucky in the sense that not many of my favourite bands have been touched by this whole, um, by Me Too. But obviously there is still a fear there. And I guess if something was to come out about one of them, I would 100% back down and I, you know, wouldn't be as interested in the band anymore. I mean, there's accusations about Jared Leto from 30 Seconds to Mars. Um, and, you know, as much as I'm, I like them, and but I've, I haven't really, you know, I, I would be reluctant to listen to their music or give them any money anymore because we don't know what exactly is happening there. And I guess as well with Lost Profits, I always hated them um and when Ian Watkins was outed and eventually jailed on allegations that there was a case brought against him for um sexual abuse and sexual assault um a lot of people backed away from that that I knew who were Lost Prophets fans had kind of stepped away and said enough is enough um but is that the only point where we say to bands you know i I'm not going to listen to you anymore because of your sexual misconduct or the sexual allegations against you or is there other scenarios where that would happen like for example I think we talked about this before um Paramore not one of those crazy or what's the song called one of those crazy one girls. of those crazy girls like I don't control that song I skip it every time I hear it or every time it comes on but I'm not gonna you know as much as Hayley pulls misery business from their life set I feel like there is an opportunity for them to acknowledge the damage that that song may have caused yeah um and I think there's an opportunity there for them to rectify it and again if they come out and said no absolutely not we're not pulling this song it is what it is I might take a bit of distaste to that yeah. but again I'm not 100% ready to let go of them so I, I can see what you mean by that yeah yeah and I think even if like post me too if people were kind of calling out different things about bands they didn't like and again yeah. that's the bravery of like a teenage girl going you know actually I don't like this thing that yeah. this band has been doing so like at all time love shows and they've been doing this forever um girls throw bras up on stage but it's not like the bra you're wearing people bring bras to throw on stage which when I explain to people who haven't been to an all time love show it sounds fucking bizarre it does bras are expensive man <laughs> Well, you're talking about pennies bras. Yeah. But still, like, you know, they do like a three euro like t-shirt bra. Yeah. But I digress. Um, but people were kind of saying like that was cute and funny when they were like, you know, in their teens themselves. And now you're like, you have 30 something year old men and 15 year old girls throwing bras up on stage. And you're like, well, there's an opportunity for boundaries to be blurred. And to be honest, like, you know, I, I was kind of thinking about it quite a bit. And yeah, I think I agree that there is... You know, do I do I think it's so unacceptable that I wouldn't go to a show anymore? No, because they, they don't... It's not acknowledged anymore. They, they, it's kind of phased out. Like, people don't do it as much anymore. Yeah. And I think part of that is because they've stopped encouraging it. Because they're not in their 20s anymore. They're adult men. They're married adult yeah, men. Married as adult much men. as they might not like their wives. <laughs> Shade. Um, but, like, as much as, as much as that is the case, yeah. I feel like it's kind of being phased out as well. And there's a lot of, like, childish things. Like, people are talking about Blink and how, like, their whole thing is really childish. And, like, they say kind of shitty things on stage, too. But they're making, like, like tit jokes and dick jokes. And, yeah. Like, when you're getting older and your fan base is kind of staying the same age, you kind of have to think about, like, what are the implications of this? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, if you know that the boundary is, like, you can make a joke about that, but you couldn't touch somebody in the crowd. Or you couldn't, like... Mm. You know, like, I think once the boundaries are really clearly there and that everybody is willing to call out somebody if that boundary is crossed... Um, but I do think that that's the important thing here is like thinking about what's acceptable to you and where do you draw the line and what do you do to protect that line as well. And I do think as a community, people have a responsibility to call out stuff that they see or that they don't like. Um, I see it constantly, people getting like calling out stuff that happens at, at mm. gigs. And I think it's happening more and more frequently where people are saying, you know what, this is not cool. And it could be just be the fans and not the bands themselves. But it's still, there's now a culture of people going, you know, well, actually, I saw the shitty thing and I reported it. And that's great. Yeah. Like, I think it's really great. Yeah, it's very progressive, even in the sense of accessibility and th things happen in the crowd. Like, when we were, we were both at the Umi at gig when they played Dublin a while back and, you know, Josh Franceschi called out from the stage because there was two guys fighting in the middle of the show and he was like, this is not cool, like, don't do this. And it's very easy for bands to put those boundaries in place whether it's, you know, a chat like that on the stage or it's like Paramore when they were doing their Parahoy. We spoke about this in our Paramore episode, go listen if you haven't. Um, 
what they have very clearly set out these boundaries for being on a ship with them and it works and it works so well and the fans really respect that so it's not like these bands are going to have bands have difficulty in setting these boundaries it's just about executing it in the right way so yeah. I definitely feel like there should be a case of of that more one particle of unitanium has a nuclear reaction with a flux capacitor carry the two changing its atomic isotoner into a radioactive spider yes science So I have two articles this week. Um, it's about misogyny in music. So there was a research paper done by Gratemeyer Hollingdell and I think it's pronounced Trotnaushak, but I could be saying that completely wrong. I'm very, very sorry. Um, but this was in 2015 and it was about um, how listening to music with pro-equality lyrics improves attitudes and behaviour towards women. So it had a really small sample size. It was like 55 participants, which is not a lot. Because you've like, I think it was 27 women, 28 men. Um, and what they did basically was they repeated this experiment later on with a different group of people, but around the same amount. Mm -hmm. And they played Respect by Aretha Franklin. And they played Respect by Train. And so one group had the pro-equality lyrics and one group had the, the non-pro-equality song. And then they were asked to fill in a questionnaire. Um, and the questionnaire had questions that were kind of of a sensitive nature. So about like um, like victim blaming women or like if a woman gets hit in a relationship, um, should she leave kind of thing. And they were asked to fill in this questionnaire and they found that people who listened to the pro-equality lyrics were more likely to be more sympathetic towards women. Um, so there's problems with this study where there aren't, there weren't enough people in it. So they're going to have to do this again with a bigger sample to see how it actually relates to people. Mm. This may have just been this group. And I think this is a problem in psychology research a lot. You see this in papers all the time. You know, psychology proves or science says, and you're like, science doesn't say shit. Like, no, <laughs> no it fucking doesn't. 50 people said it. <laughs> yeah, 50 people said it. Or these three researchers interpreted this yeah. data to say the thing that they wanted them to say. And that's like my biggest peeve when you read, like, in those Twitter accounts that are like, psychology says. Yeah. And I'm just like, it doesn't. But okay. maybe a study said it, or like one person tweeted it, and you know, it, it, there's a lot of stuff that oh, needs but to. If go it's on the internet, Courtney. It's real, obviously. <laughs> it's true. Um, but that is something that really, really pisses me off, and I, I feel like the further I got into learning about this stuff, the more it annoyed me because I'm just like, yeah. But why? Um, <laughs> but I think in this case, there's an issue where when if you do a psychology research. Um, or any kind of research where you're relying on a person to self-report. So they're filling in a questionnaire mm -hmm. or they're answering questions. There's a thing called demand characteristics where if you kind of stand in front of somebody and you give them a questionnaire and they think, so either that person wants you to believe that they're a good person. So if it's a questionnaire about like stealing or something, well, they're like, well, even if I do steal, I want this person to think that I'm a good person mm -hmm. and this is clearly yeah. what they're trying to research. Or if they're answering something about like, you know, for example, like the correlation between wearing black and depression, they might be like, well, clearly if they're asking me questions about the clothes I wear and depression that they want to show that there's a link. So they might answer the questions and say that, yes, there is, even if they don't personally feel okay, that there is. So this was, um, in this study, they did a kind of a, they, there's things you can do to try get rid of that. So you might ask somebody, like, what do you think the study is about? Okay. After they filled in the questionnaire. And then they can kind of go, well, this person figured it out or this person figured out what it is they were being asked to do and that kind of limits how many people are participating in a study that are likely to respond in that kind of way where they okay. think you want them to answer a certain way so apparently only one participant in this study indicated any suspicion between listening to the songs and answering the questionnaire so oh. they didn't know what they were being asked to do which is really interesting and really good and it shows kind of a strength for the study yeah definitely. um so there's already been research that suggests that media's attitude to women affects how people feel about women. Mm -hmm. um, but if we're actually looking at songs and how people are influenced by the music they're listening to and, and how they treat women, like I feel like that's a quite a systemic problem. Like You can go through all the songs that we were talking about, this cool girl image, but you have bands like The Story So Far and Real Friends writing so like sad songs about breakups and stuff and how... You know these women are really terrible, and they broke their hearts and everything. And like I, you know, breakups are hard, and they're you know it's valid to feel sad yeah. about them. And like I'm not saying like we should police how people talk about the specific situations they're in, but I think coupled with the idea of this faceless, nameless girl, it becomes about like not that girl that they're talking about. It becomes about any girl. Yeah. And anybody can relate their experience to it. Mm -hmm. 
and I know we've mentioned this in a previous episode, but that idea of people hearing what they want to hear in a song. Yeah. That, like, if you specifically don't name them or you call them, like, that bitch or, like, that, that you know, that whore, that foot or whatever, people hear what they want to hear and, and they, they hear it about, like, that girl wouldn't go out with them or that girl broke up with them or... Yeah. It kind of influences how people feel about women. And then, you know, you go to shows and are girls being, like, mistreated in the crowd? Are people touching them? Are, you know, is stuff happening to them while they're there? And I do think it kind of fosters this this experience that isn't necessarily positive where they're at these shows and they should be safe because they're holding on to this thing that they're fangirling over. But if there's men there and other boys their age there, are they treating them wrong because of what they're hearing? Is this just a culture? Is you know, there's a lot of questions around that whole concept, I think, of of what happens when you have misogynistic lyrics in your songs. Um another article I read was by Riles in twenty thirteen and it's emo angst, masochism and masculinity in crisis. So I've always had this thing about how I thought emo kind of represented this like kind of feminine kind of androgynous thing where like you wouldn't necessarily know if you saw like an original emo with the black sweeping fringe and the face piercings and the eyeliner whether they presented as male or female yeah um and this article kind of discusses this in detail about how emo is a very like feminized androgynous aesthetic so the article says that the standard emo style is reflective of traditional assumptions of gay aestheticism associated with femininity or androgyny. And I do think that that's true. Like, you kind of saw a lot of expression of, like, queerness, I guess. Like, yeah. growing up, so, like, you know, Pete Wentz, people were like, mm, is he not gay, kind of thing. But, like, there was also a genuine question about his yeah. sexuality. And then you had, like, Fra- Frankie and Jared kissing on stage. And there was, like, this, like, exploration of queerness and of the idea of LGBT and I think like kind of as emo has progressed into this like current wave of emo a lot of those kids are LGBT and they're much more free to express their sexuality and I think there's less of a um emphasis on this like traditional idea of androgyny because I think that's a lot of things that people who are like in the body positive community and Mm, who talk about like being non-binary that androgyny means that when people say they're non-binary but they have boobs or they have like a curvier figure or they're they are fat or they're in a bigger body or they don't look the way people think androgyny looks looks yeah that the people are like but I don't you know but like you look like male or you look female whereas I think emo kind of had this like subversive look at masculinity where it was all very like straight up down thin um and I think like Hayley Williams kind of fit into that as well because that was like yeah oh it's a girl but she she fits into our like assumption of what all emos look like so like yeah you know, it's fine um so here they also said that um like physical attributes such as muscular athletic built or widely viewed as natural masculine qualities so that emos actively challenge this naturalness by maintaining a thin non-muscular form so like I don't think for the most part that a lot of these bands gave a shit about like maintaining it I think they just became popular because they were like yeah naturally in thinner bodies so like like all the fallout boy guys but even like I know we're going to talk about this we're going to do a thing about body positivity at some point on like fat phobia in emo but he said it before we started recording we used to call Patrick Stone Patrick yeah like that was that was normal and we'd laugh about it and Josh from Dresky, fat Josh because you know he was a bit chubbier when air quotes, when you meet Dick started out. Like, and we thought that was fine. And I've said this before, but like, I was like a size 18. I was like a fat teenager. I was a fat emo. And I always felt so like, I don't belong here because I'm not this skinny, thin person. And I've, you know, spoken to Courtney about this before, like off the podcast, but I was always this kind of person who would hold myself in a certain manner to try and fool people into thinking I was thin and it came especially when we'd go to these emo shows and because I wanted so badly as you do when you're a teenager is to fit in and I think there's this idea as well emo that you're like supposed to be non-conforming but like also look like everybody else which is definitely not what I was trying to do I just wanted to fit in I didn't want to stand out but another thing as well is that when you're in a bigger body and you're looking on stage at these tiny bodies and majority men um and they're playing these instruments and they're front men and then you've got body somebody like Hayley Williams who's the front woman I 
desperately wanted to play drums when I was a teenager. But I thought, oh, I'll never make it as a drummer because, you know, I'm not thin or I'll never make it as a lead singer because I can't, first of all, I can't sing. But second of all, I don't fit into that stereotype. So I never touched a drum kit and I've decided this is the year, guys. This is the year. I'm going to do it because I'm not getting any any younger. Yeah. But it shouldn't have taken me 10 years to decide that. I should have been able to just had those role models then and there and went with it. Yeah, and I I do think that's a really common thing as well. Like, I know we said this off the podcast, but, like, you hear of, like, female drummers or, like, female guitarists who ultimately are guitarists and drummers. And then they might post YouTube videos and people are like, oh, you're a really good guitarist for a girl. Yeah. And you're like, well, like, she can fucking wipe the floor with you. Like, go away. Like, what can you do apart from, like, play with yourself? Like, just... (laughs) actually like like really pisses me off um, but anyway back to Bryles um, she said that emos violate gender norms which may in turn cause them to feel pressure to enact forms of hypermasculinity, specifically by showcasing dominance over girls and this is the point that I have been trying to make for a really long time and I feel quite validated that it's here Good. I feel <laughs> I feel so valid I feel so seen um I feel that in emo, a lot of, because of the way the men looked, and it is this kind of feminized thing, and you have guys kind of kissing on stage, or, you know, there's a lot of queer baiting, and that's another episode entirely where we talk about kind of the problematic part of that, but um, you have this thing of, like, well, the men are seen as feminine, so people who were emo or identified as emo were, like, insulted and told that they're gay, and, like, that was used as a pejorative, yeah. or, like, the F word, and I don't mean fuck was used kind of, like, really liberally. Like, you see, you know, like, that was kind of a synonymous. Like, you say emo, somebody says the F word. Yeah. And, you know, men wearing nail polish and stuff, like, they were... It was just constantly, like, their their sexuality was questioned. Yeah. Because they identify with this thing that was kind of seen as being a little bit softer. So I do think maybe from that, and this is obviously what Riles thinks as well, that if you feel... And I think this is, uh, like, a... We're kind of getting into sociology now, but it's, like, if you have a group of people who feel disenfranchised... And there is another group of people who are lower than them in the chain of, like, hierarchy. Okay. Um, like, I think the best example of this is, like, you look at all the Irish people who went over to New York in the famine. And then when they were there, it was, like, no Irish, no Jews, no blacks. Irish people started being racist. Yeah. And, like... Yeah. Um, Anti-Semitic. Yeah. And that was because they were, like, well, we're disadvantaged here, but we still think we're better than these people. And I, I think that happens in a lot of social situations where people yeah. feel the need to kind of go, well, at least I'm not them kind yeah. of thing. So I do feel like in the emo scene, there is kind of a, a case of like, well, people are saying all these horrible things about me and questioning whether or not I am, like, you know, they're questioning my sexuality and they're questioning this heteronormative thing. I think it's less of an issue now, but it, part of it still remains. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think then they kind of treat women badly because they're like, well, at least we're better than you. Yeah, it's kind of like, bullies are bullied themselves yeah. almost and I definitely think with the the whole nail polish thing you said Lil Peep not to be confused a little pump um he wore nail varnish and a lot of people questioned his sexuality because of it but he was kind of like I'm just who I am and I like nail varnish and I'm a straight guy I think and why are we gendering makeup nail varnish in nail, like, like yeah like I think my first like t- I think my first brush with like gender fluidity and non-binary and androgyny was definitely through the emo scene and particularly through Pete Wentz you know he wore eyeliner guyliner as they penned it in Kiss magazine um and nail varnish and it was just like yeah whatever he's a dude and he has nail varnish yeah so what of it like you look at now and how you have so many male beauty influencers yeah. who like wouldn't have got I mean like obviously Jeffree Star you know he was around back in the day oh yeah and now he's huge like, he has his own brand. He has, I'm sure everybody knows all about him. And he's problematic at best. Yeah. But for, for again, probably another episode. But um, for the most part, like, that, he was around back in those days. And now it's so normal for guys to be wearing makeup. But it's less questions. Like, there's, you know, more conservative people who might be like, why? But for the most part, I think it's, yeah, you know, like, there's people working in brands and stuff that wear makeup all the time. And, like, you know, people are looking for male makeup artists. And I feel like it's, it's changed so much from back then when wearing oh, yeah. eyeliner was was a reason to question somebody's sexuality or wearing skinny jeans was a reason like I mean it's ridiculous when you think back on it now but that was the culture we were submerged yeah. in that was what we kind of had grown up around um 
So they said that emo offers a collective solution to the confrontation of oppressive structures. Um, but it does seem to be that if somebody is, I suppose, questioning your sexuality at a time when being gay wasn't seen as okay, and there was no such thing as, like, I mean, obviously there was, but, like, there was no such thing as somebody being able to say that they were bi and have people take them seriously. Yeah. I feel like that was a really big problem back, kind of, Definitely. back in the day. Um, But if you kind of question that with people who are insecure about their sexuality, maybe because it's being questioned or because they feel like they need to prove something to somebody, that they're going to try to uphold those kind of oppressive structures. So this whole thing was kind of in, like, a sociology um, think piece, I guess. Um, and a lot of it was kind of focused on blaming girls and um, they kind of looked as well. There was another article I read um, that kind of fed on from this a bit where they talked about how, like, if you go back to Jesse Lacey and all his, like, lyrics about how, like, you know, the women are so terrible and, like, you know, I, I am nothing and I am so sad and, like, all of these things are really terrible. What you end up doing when you take those kind of lyrics and you take those kind of stances where you go, well, I am the most oppressed in this group, is you end up centering yourself yeah. in the discussion. So, like, by doing that, they just kept centering this, like, heteronormative, like, hegemonic thing. Yes, had man thing who was like, I am the most suffering. Like, you might be suicidal, but I am the most suicidal kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or I am the most, like, misunderstood or I am the, the, the most at risk here. Or, you know, it was just a way of recentering this thing and I, I feel like that's something that we accepted quite readily mm-hmm. because a lot of what we had were male bands we only had Volley Boy and we only had My Chem and we only had Blink and we only had Green Day and we only had like Good Charlotte and we only had like I don't know Dashboard Hawthorne Heights you can go back and back and back through all the different waves yeah. of emo music and the majority men um, and you made a really good point actually about um me? Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> Always. Cloud is very smart. But you made a really good point about um, what Hayley said about female from bands. Oh, yeah. So we were talking about this off pod. Um, but Hayley Williams has made a point numerous times that female fronted is not a genre. Um, like, people do kind of see her, and this is something we've talked about before, but people see her as the band as Paramore because she is a woman and would they have the same kind of I guess they would have you know if it was a male fronted band I do think the dynamic would change with regards to their fan base because not only the point what you the point what you made (laughs) not only the point that you made about them fighting for attention from the different people but I also think like I would be someone and you know I hate myself for saying this but I listen to a lot of female fronted bands and I'd only kind of listen to women in music like I would obviously there are you know male fronted bands that I love and adore but the majority of the time our playlists are made up of women and female fronted bands because that's just what I'm into and I kind of argued with the logic behind what Hayley was saying like female fronted isn't a genre and in my head I was thinking well it kind of is because that's all I listen to but then when I kind of took a step back took a step back and looked at it with my feminist goggles, I kind of realised that, yeah, female fronted isn't a genre because it's just music. Yeah. Like, is there male, is male fronted a genre? No, it's not. So female fronted shouldn't be one either. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I think, see, I don't listen to that many female fronted or female bands. And like, I do question that. I'm like, well, what is it about this music that I don't like? Yeah. Like, am I being, is like, is that internalised misogyny? Is that I'm just not interested is there a duty for me to, like, try expand that into... I mean, I did it with authors. I do it with films, like, directed by women and stuff. Like, yeah. I, I kind of tried to look into this stuff that maybe I internally was rejecting because society rejects them. Or they yeah. kind of go, well, it's not actually that big a deal or whatever. Um, And there's bands that I keep meaning to listen to that, like, I should. But um, I think last year, All Time Low posted a... F- oh, no, it was Alex Gasgard. They posted a photo. I know we keep going back to this. I was like... <laughs> Alex Gasgard, not again. <laughs> Take a shot every time I say Gasgard. Um, but he posted a photo of um, the band, like all the crew from one of their tours, and they'd taken Hey Violet out with them on tour. And he'd been like waxing lyrical all week about like, oh, it's so important to support women in music. Blah, 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 blah. And it's only blah, because you look at this photo of the whole crew and there's three girls in Hey Violet and no other women. All the, everybody else was male. Or, like, you know, male presenting. And you're kind of like, well... Mm-hmm. 
And people called him out and he had a fucking bitch fit about it because he always does when he's called out for stuff when he thinks he's doing the right Just thing. Just probably regularly because he's a dickhead. <laughs> he really annoys me. I love you, but I hate you. That's the, kind of my relationship with that whole band. Um, she says that she sits here wearing an all-time low t-shirt. <laughs> the same one I wore last week as well. When we recorded. And they have bras on their head as well, which I like to mention. They all have all-time low t-shirts on. Yeah, isn't that really cool? That's why I like Fucking this shirt. losers. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't design it themselves. It's like five all-time low t-shirts in one. Yeah, I'm, I feel I feel represent. Um, anyway, I hate you. <laughs> Love me. Um, after he had his bitch fit, he brought, uh, well, not him, but, like, the whole band brought Ashley Osbourne and on tour. She's a photographer. And, like, they've been friends with her. It's not like they found a woman and they were like, you, woman, <laughs> please come on tour with us. It was an opportunity that they had and they had the space there. But it was so easy for them to do that. She's an incredible yeah. photographer. She's toured with, like, tons of bands. She's photographed, like, so many people. Um, and it's not hard to find women who work in the industry. But it's kind of a case of, like... You can't just be like, we're going to support women when you're talking about, like, female-fronted bands. You need to be talking about everybody. Yeah. Like, you know, there, there needs to be women who are, like, session musicians who can be drummers or who can be guitarists. Panic at the Disco have a bassist, and her name is Nicole Rowe. Um, and, like, even that's really unusual. Why, like, why is that so strange that people would take session musicians out that are female? Like... Uh, yeah, it but, wasn't something I seen at concerts back in the day... Like, when we were going to these gigs and they needed, like, touring musicians, for the likes of Paramore especially, who always needed touring musicians because they were always breaking up when people were leaving. But they always had men. Now, in fairness to them, they were, I guess, men they knew, but I would assume that Hayley had female friends in the industry who would have been up to the job. I do think there's still this prevailing idea that... um, And it's been around since... 70s like this idea that women are out to trick men and it's like right back to the thing we said at the very beginning about how there's all these men who, who like see this woman and they might see her at a bar or they might see her in the crowd or I think Brendan Neary talks about this a lot with his wife like he met her at a show and she was so unimpressed by him and then he was like desperate to get her to love him yeah and like they, they're married and they're happily married and like it worked out for him but that's such a prevailing common story well back in the 70s there was an idea that like women I can't be trusted because they've tricked men with like a disguise or like you know they wear makeup and they're, perfume yeah. and they're 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 trying really hard, and this actually reminded me of um a time in twenty twelve, um this dude that I'd met him in college no it was twenty thirteen really early twenty thirteen and I'd met him in college, and like, he had a girlfriend at the time so I was just kind of like cool yeah whatever we'll be friends and like I never told him I liked him or anything like it was just a thing and then he like resurfaced a few months later and was like broke up my girlfriend do you want to like hang out. But, like, I made it really clear we were hanging out as friends. Yeah. Um, and it was, like, the day after Valentine's Day as well. So he turned up outside my job with um, a box of chocolates and a rose. And, like, two of my friends used to walk me out every day. And they saw him, looked at me, and fucking walked off. And I was like, this is the worst day of my life. And, like, he kept trying to, like, hold my hand and stuff. And I was like, we made this very fucking clear. <laughs> meeting up as friends. Um, and like I think he tried to kiss me a couple of times and I was just like well bye so yeah. I managed to escape this whole thing and it was really horrible and really embarrassing and really terrible but like a week later he sent me an essay he'd written and he was like oh, I just want to show you this thing I've written and I found it quite recently I look back and it's it's still there even though I blocked him because I was like what the fuck is wrong with you but it was a thing about how women um are always trying to trick men like they go out to bars and they wear like you know, their little dresses and their heels and their makeup and, like, you know, they're wearing spanks and, like, push-up bras and stuff and they giggle and they laugh at everything you say and then, like, a few weeks later they get more comfortable and, like, the whole thing was, like, it's a crumbling facade. And I was like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Like, why would you... And this is, like, I was, wasn't was as feminist then as I as I am now. Yeah. Like, I feel like now I would have, like, actually gone to his house and clapped him around the head. Yeah, I was just but, thinking some sort of physical anger there. <laughs> yeah, like some sort good. of like shoe involved rage. Jesus. But like at the time I like I looked at the messages and I was like, you know what, baby Courtney, like that was that was pretty good going. I just said to him, I was like, why would you send me that? Like what are you talking about? And he goes, Oh, um, my sister told me not to send it to you. And I was like, fucking listen to it then. <laughs> also why are you showing this to anybody? But it, it reminded me of that, that there is this prevailing thing that some men still think women are, are like, I don't know, like tricksters or like scammers you know, or like elves or something that were like, you know, trying to trick you into falling in love with us and then 
Yeah, so it's just like that whole like fairy like fairy tale mm. like fairy thing like you're in the unseelie or the seelie court and then if you eat some like fruit that they offer you you have to stay there forever. Like is that what men think? Like not all men obviously, but like these men think. Yes. And that does seem to be a prevailing thing in a lot of these sad boy lyrics that they're like, well, the woman tricked me by walking by or looking oh, at me with me. her eyes kind of thing and you're just it's it's ridiculous. But it seems to be in so many bands. Like I found a fuck ton of songs that feature this kind of thing, either the cool girl thing or um, it's like Make Down Sure by Taking Back Sunday. Lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking off her clothes. Yeah. Um, and even I write sins. Like, I know, like, since then, Brennan fucking hates that song. He hasn't said he's not going to sing it anymore, but he's pretty fed up with it. Like, he lets the crowd do that as well. Yeah. Um, but, like, he made it six, save it for the bedroom, you know, calling girls whores. Like, it just seems to be, like, a thing. Um, there was a Saves the Day song called Rock's Tonic Juice Magic. Um, Dirty Little Secret. All American oh, Rejects. Yeah. Um, Man Overboard have a song that's called Fantasy Girl, which kind of tells you everything you need to know about them as a band. But they do have a song called Montrose that I love. But again, it's the same thing. Like, you know, she was chilling, looking hot in her bed, smoking pot. And you're like, oh, she's so cool. She's so cool. But it was like, you know, when I go around your house, you hide all the things that other boys give you because you're so cool and unattainable. And you're just like, well, that's yeah. not healthy. What no. are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? Um, who else had songs? Mayday Parade, When I Get Home, You're So Dead. Um... And then, like, real friends who I just, they can fuck off. And the story so far, I have an album um, that I, I was reading a subreddit, and it was, like, this was, like, the angry breakup album. But, like, the story so far, Parker Cannon has kicked somebody off a stage for, like, trying to get up there to stage dive. So I already thought it'd be shit. I've already written an article about like, how much physically shit. Yeah. kicked them off the Not stage. Not just, like, told her Ma- off or was, like, get off the stage or whatever. He literally kicked her because she got up to stage dive. And other people have been doing it. It's not like she just decided... You know, like, I feel like if somebody gets up and tries to attack you, you're fully within your rights to do oh, whatever yeah. the hell you want. But I feel like you have security at your shows. For a reason. Yeah, or you can just go, stop, get the fuck off my stage, thank you very much, and start the song up again. Like, there's plenty of ways you can handle that without kicking it. Um, you only have to look at the attitude a lot of fans of these bands have to kind of see that there is an issue there still. That when yeah. people call out, like, the Parker Cannon thing, like, I had people going, oh, it would be okay if it was a guy. And I was like, fuck no. Like, stop kicking people. Don't yeah. be kicking people. That's my new life motto. <laughs> don't yeah. be kicking people. <laughs> don't be doing that. But, like, fucking don't. Like, don't, you don't need to do that. Like, I don't understand why the, the, the line is not like, well, is it okay if it's a man? It's like, well, no, if we're talking about, like, violently hurting somebody. Yeah who annoyed you then no the line is please don't do that at all full stop no matter what their gender is or like what they identify as or whatever like it doesn't fucking matter unless um, they show up at your workplace with flowers and a rose oh, you, you need definitely to, you need to kick them in the head, <laughs> or, kick them in the head. or if they send you really terrible essays then i think you can hit them in the head with a shoe i think yeah, that's fine just that's, a shoe. that's where my line is a little converse anyway. <laughs> a little converse not a doc not a doc job it not a doc a, job it was it's a, a converse, converse job yeah. so but you do see that and you do see it on twitter as well that a lot of people's responses to the Jesse Lacey thing. Like, uh, people I know who were really big fans of Brand New were very quiet about it afterwards. And whether you privately listen to it, again, I think there's a lot of moral issues that aren't as black and white as, I'm going to stop doing this. And like, people oh, yeah. have different lines and stuff. I feel like the line should always be, I'm not going to publicly support this thing. Because I feel like if it was your friend or if it was somebody you know in your personal life, I feel like you can, you know, there's nobody saying you have to stop talking to them. But you have to think about how it looks if you talk to them publicly or if you publicly say, hey, I still support you or like, you know, I'm going to keep buying your music or you're going to keep saying whatever that you're telling people who see you do this that you think what they did is acceptable. Exactly. Um, yeah. But I think in your private life, if you're like, well, my friend did a shitty thing or like this musician friend I have has been accused of this thing. and I don't know if it's true or not. I feel like if you quietly want to stay and support them then that's your own prerogative like I don't think you can judge people for well you can you absolutely can you and you should but I feel like there is more of a moral line definitely it's even when it comes to the whole even just veering out of the emo sphere for a sec and one of the great loves of mine when I was you know 12 into 15 say was Chris Brown really really loved him really loved his music it was the first concert I'd ever gone to and when the whole thing with Rihanna happened, 
I remember I had like a Chris Brown fan page on Stardoll. Like this is how long ago Stardoll. it is. Stardoll. Um, but I immediately kind of I again I didn't know what the word feminist was. Feminist was a dirty word to me when I was fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. And but I still knew that this is so wrong and I should absolutely step back and not publicly support him anymore. And I definitely did that and I kind of stepped away from listening to his music. I think he came to play in Ireland not so long after, or at least he attempted to. And it was in like Vicar Street, which he had gone from playing the three arena to Vicar Street, which just goes to show the impact that that had. And I think it got pulled in the end because he couldn't get into the country. But sooner rather than, you know, sooner after that, he was back in the three arena again. And I still to this day, I'm so shocked by people who are feminist, who outright would still support him yeah I just don't get it and the same goes for I guess what you're saying like yeah if you if you listen to him behind the scenes like yeah I'll absolutely judge you for it but don't don't support him publicly because again you are you're condoning what he's yeah. done and you're telling your friends that oh if this happens to you and it happens to be somebody that I know that I'm fine with it exactly and it's really shitty and it, it, it just has a wider impact than just the music and a lot of the subreddits I was reading was like well I can support whoever I want and there were some, and some of them seemed to be male. It's really, obviously you can't tell on Reddit, there's no pictures. It's you're going by names. Yeah. So people who seemed to be male were kind of saying, well, it's it's not about that. It's about, like, the record label are doing this stuff. And it's about, like, a wider community thing. And it's about what, what you support and what you're willing to support. Um, and they were saying, like, personally, this is where I draw the line. Or personally, this is, I won't support anybody who supported this band. Or I think twice about supporting them. And I think that's kind of all you can ask people to do is to think twice about what it is you're doing. Yeah. Um, and like consider the wider implications of saying, Well, I still I still wanna go see this. Like I remember when Chris Brown came back here and the people that I saw tweeting like that it's okay or like tweeting like Rihanna jokes that were really distasteful or like saying, you know, it would be okay if Chris hit them. And, like, just really disturbing, yeah, alarming stuff. Yeah, there was a stuff. lot of disturbing stuff going around about that. Like, you know, like, oh, she deserved it was, you know, and there's people as well who do openly support him as an artist. But then you look at the, I remember looking at the, the like, the police report, and it's not okay to support that kind of behaviour. No, absolutely and not. Even, I would, like, yeah, again, as we said, like, there's you know, the idea of if you're going to listen to them in private and not support them publicly, but these people are supporting him so publicly and so... Well, and they're condoning it. it they're well. condoning it because I think, yes, emo music is kind of a niche thing, but Chris Brown is, like, that whole incident, like, that... When that happened, that was, like, a, a signifier in pop culture. That was something that... I, I think that was the first time that ever really happened in pop culture where we had obviously there was I mean like if you look back at at Tina and like Turner and all those kind of things that happened yes but I'm talking about in kind of modern day social media kind of where we have access to these things where people should know better yeah and like the photos did rounds and like you know obviously that's an invasion of privacy and that's a whole issue in itself but the fact is we had access to the actual photos which are actual evidence of the fact that this incident happened yeah um, and I think now, you know, we have people coming forward and saying this band or this guy in this band did this thing to me. Um, we have it there. And the bands, if they apologize, you're like, well, you're saying sorry because you fucking did it. Yeah. Or you did something that it, like there is truth in this allegation. Um, and then to have people still say, like, I'm going to support them. I'm still, you know, fuck this. and I'm not saying anything until there's a, a lawsuit or there's an actual case or until they're charged or whatever. But like we mentioned Ian Watkins earlier, there are still people out there who yeah. are okay with and like there's women who go and visit him in jail and yeah. you're like that what the fuck goth is goth women is what the newspaper has reported them as goth women goth who's going to see him um, and it's it's alarming and it's it's alarming to think that it, it may be like a cultural issue that's quite widespread that we haven't really managed to address properly and it's figuring out where it comes from and is it coming from the lyrics is it coming from our whole attitude is this leftover things from the 70s when like sex yeah. drug and rock and roll sex drug <laughs> sex drug and rock and roll one drug <laughs> when sex drugs and rock and roll were the pinnacle of rock music like is this leftover are we still are we still in that and we just haven't really realized yeah um like i suppose there's all stuff with, like groupies and even like the word groupies makes my skin crawl a little bit because it's so dehumanizing 
like, you know, you can be a girl who likes to have sex and you can be a girl who wants to have sex with band guys. Like there's a Tumblr and it's called Band Whores Anon. Um, and they're like self-proclaimed band whores who go around and they sleep with guys from bands. And whether it's true or not, I don't know. I find it I find it really interesting to read. Yeah. But they'd be like, Oh, I had sex with this guy, or I slept with this guy and you know, this is the story on him and people would submit stuff that they'd heard or like they'd heard from their friends and there's a whole culture of girls who like to have sex with band guys and Oh yeah. More power to them. If that's what you want to do, that's that's fine. Like, yeah. I've heard stories from people who work with bands, and they're like, oh, girls come to me all the time and ask, can I, can you introduce me to this guy? Or can you, like, get me backstage? Or can you get me into, like, their private area if they're in a club or whatever? So it, it does happen. It's real. But it is kind of a dehumanizing thing of, like, these are women who want to be used, I think, is kind of the general attitude. Yeah. And, like, it, there's very little distinction between fangirls and groupies, I think. Yeah. Like, I think when people talk about them, it's all this horrible, disdainful, like, you know, you talk about a groupie, you're talking about, like, a, like an 18-year-old girl, or, like, a barely legal girl who, like, dresses up to look older than she is, and, you know, there's all these, like, mental images that are associated with them um, that seem to just all come back to a culture that needs to work a little bit harder at calling out the shit that they're seeing, and we're getting there, we're definitely getting there, yeah. but there is still that thing, like, that resistance of people going, well, this doesn't affect me, or this, I don't see this as a problem. Because um, it doesn't affect them. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, like, we need to come right into a point where the culture is more accepting of women. Yeah. Which is the bottom line of, I guess, what we're trying to talk about today. Um, is that we need to be, you know, you can't, there's a campaign here at the moment in Ireland about um, sports. And it's called 2020. And their whole thing is, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And it's about increasing coverage of uh women's sports and attendance at women's games by 20% in by 2020 and the, their tagline is if you can't see it, you can't be it and absolutely agree with that sense in that if you don't see women on stage doing their thing and you don't see you know women working on record labels yeah women working in like touring with bands or women that are there as managers or yeah whatever like if you can't see it I mean like you look at like band culture and when people get really into a band they learn who all the crew are yeah like if you don't see women that's not an that's not an option for you exactly and I think it's no different than going like women can be scientists like we've moved on from that we know women can be scientists and women even, are brilliant scientists yes yeah, exactly know. and even though obviously I mean this is a segue but the, segue. the the girl who um created the program for the black hole to be imaged woman um Yes, the girl, the girl, <laughs> the girl was in fact a woman. Shock, but the the response from a lot of like, you know, straight white guys was uh, uh, the woman can't have done this. So then they were like, well, this this white man did it, and he was like, I am a gay white man, and they were like, oh no, we have to find somebody else. So they were like really trying yeah. to say that there's no way she could have done this, and I do think that that is we're met with that everywhere. Like it's it's still something that we're working on culturally everywhere in the world that is still an issue that women still have to work harder and like but then you're talking like that's white women like black women have to work harder latino women have to work harder disabled yeah. people have to work harder like there's all this like still massive inequality but it, it really does come down to that like if you can't see it you can't be it if we don't have these successful bands that have money pumped into them like i've never seen a girl band or a female fronted band have money pumped into them the way i did with palais royale like i wouldn't like you know if i opened a, an email and was like this is your next favorite band and it had girls in it, I would probably be more likely to click on it. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Because you're like, well, even if it's manufactured shit, like, somebody sat down in a boardroom and thought, young girls want to listen to this. And they made up a thing that they thought young people wanted to listen to. And it happened to be this female, all-female group. Or it happened to be this female-fronted thing. Or it happened to have a guitarist who is a girl. Or a drummer. Or, like, whatever. I don't think it matters, really. But it's the fact that that's still not happening. We're still seeing all-male bands. And I'm kind of fucking sick of it. Yeah, same. Straight white women. Straight white women. I'm kind of sick of it too. It's like the majority of bands have taken, I guess, the whole four men playing four different instruments from the Beatles. Like that's kind of come down from there, that kind of structure. And it just hasn't gone away whereas we need more diversity in that. Definitely. Um, but even back to Fallout Boy, their earliest albums were about, well, written by Pete, were about a girl called... Um, Janae White and she was like the scene queen like if you remember like Jack the Neck and like Janae was one and I can't think of any other names but they were all the girls that you'd see all over MySpace that people would use their like images or whatever um, and like Pete had written 
or he'd done an interview, sorry, in a Rolling Stone spread saying that, like, she's irresistible, the best ones are crazy, there are parts of me that are like, yeah, we could get married, and then there's parts of me that couldn't spend tonight with her. Um, I don't know that she cares about the songs um, as much as everybody who listens to them does, and it's like, it's back to that thing of, like... <sighs> she doesn't like us, so I want her to like us. Yeah, and it's, you know, we're songs about girls that are not for girls. And yeah, like, we somehow still persevered. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. I think that's testimony to, like, teenage stubbornness more than anything else. But I, like, you think emo, you think female groups of people. And, like, I guess that's, like, now I'm kind of like, well, that's really, you know, exclusionary. Like, obviously, non-binary people. And, like, there's there's more than two genders. Um, yeah. You know, we've moved on from that. But it does it kind of conjure a picture of, like, groups of girls who are really passionate about something. Um, I just think we need to work a little bit more. Yes, we do. So that's all we have for this week. Thank well, you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed or it, that it gave you something to think about. Like yeah. I think this was a, an episode that we needed to do and that we needed to address. Yeah. But um, that we hope didn't... I mean, fuck it. If you got offended by it, I don't give a shit. Like, this is stuff we needed to talk about. And it's an issue that's there for a lot of like women and for a lot of like non-binary people or like trans people as well. That this is stuff. This is stuff they've been subjected to their whole lives, and I think it's really important to talk to, about the lack of diversity and the lack of awareness. Yeah, and like really challenge it. So, um, we hope you had fun and um, rate us on Apple Podcasts if you're on there, or subscribe to us on Spotify. We also put out playlists for each episode um, the Thursday before the episode goes out. So every Thursday there'll be a playlist and every Monday you'll have a new episode. Um, so give us a follow on Spotify. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter at, at Kids From Why Day Pod and we're on Instagram at Kids From Yesterday Pod. Um, and that is where we will give you um, information and stuff. Yeah, and also if you have anything you want to say to us, if you want to yell at us, if you want to say something nice to us, you can email us at kidsfromyesterdaypod at gmail.com. I mean, if you yell at us, we're not going to read it out. We're just going to laugh at you. But, like, if if they're valid yelling points or you're yelling towards us about something that you agree with, that's that's cool. We'll, we might read it out in a future yeah. episode, which could be pretty fun. That would be cool. And if there is anything you maybe you want us to cover that um, you have noticed about the emo scene or something that particularly interests you that you'd like to know more about, we can do that research and bring you a podcast. That's what we do. That's what we do. Join our email cult. Is that what we're leaving? <laughs> <laughs> Join our email yeah. code. Join our email code.